What's going on, guys? My name is Mateo. Welcome back to the channel. Um, we had someone reach out very nicely. Anthony, thank you so much, who uh, saw a brother in distress given what happened earlier this week. And he extended some kind words, and he uh, prayed for us, and he helped out the channel monetarily a little bit, which was very nice. So thank you, Anthony. Um, I really appreciate the sentiment and the support. And... Um, he didn't want to become a patron because he is skeptical of Patreon. Uh, Patreon is the platform many of our friends, and he didn't want to support them, which I totally respect. And so when he reached out to support us, I wanted to extend uh, an invitation to partake in some of the benefits that our patrons do get here on the channel, uh, which means you know if you sign up for a certain tier, you can request of me a video on whatever it is you want me to do a video about. And Josh, I think I still owe you a video, brother, so let me know if you see this and you have an idea as to what you would like me to talk about for you. Um, but Anthony here, he wanted us to talk about why it is I chose Orthodox Christianity and why it is I decided to go that direction versus uh, some of the other denominations and uh, uh, phase that are out there. So... Um, I want to get to the email that he wrote for us, and um, first, I just want to address, there was a question on one of our other um, videos, someone was asking, or maybe telling me, I can't quite remember, he was saying that you're going to uh, deter a lot of people from the channel talking about Christ, talking about your faith, and there is no doubt that has been the case, <laughs> there's no doubt about that, and um, he made the argument that you're going to deter a lot of people from other faiths from coming to your channel, which, by the way, isn't true. Um, I know for a fact, because of you all who have reached out to me and you all who have commented on our videos, that we have Jews, we have Protestants, Catholics, Orthodox bros, ortho bros. Um, I think we have a Muslim who also turns into the channel. And, of course, we have many people who are not of any particular faith. And so I think we bring a lot of diverse people here and I want this to be a place where we can all celebrate our faith, because I think our faith is very important in this time. And we've talked about this many times before, the importance of faith and what it is that we're doing here. If you don't have deep roots in something that is meaningful and something that grants you uh, a life in virtue, then I don't think that your ventures are going to succeed whatever venture you're looking to um, establish as a movement. So I don't think that the crypto bros are going to succeed in their ventures without uh, virtue. I think that is a fact. And the Monero bros, we are not going to succeed if we do not have virtue as part of our movement. And I know that there are a lot of atheists like Stefan Molyneux, for example, out there who are very virtuous people. Um, and there are many Christians who are maybe not so virtuous people. So in the context of Orthodox Christianity, why I bring it to my channel, it's an avenue by which I can extend a sentiment out into the community that virtue is important, that having belief in something higher than money, something higher than even freedom, is important. And I think that is one of the main reasons why we talk about this on the channel. And if people don't like that, well, that doesn't mean they don't have to subscribe to us. They can just not watch videos which have, you know, the Sunday stream in the channel. And, you know, I think everybody knows by now we talk about Christ on Sunday. And with videos like this, where it, it's me talking about Christianity, that's probably going to be in the title. So if somebody doesn't want to watch that, they don't have to watch it. But they can tune into our other videos. Um, so I don't think it's that deterring. 
Uh, but we have had people on the channel uh, talk about how I am wrong for thinking that others are wrong uh, because of their culture, because of their faith. And he specifically made reference, surprisingly, uh, to, I don't even know if I could say this, P-E-D-O-philia. He said that, who are you to say that's wrong? Uh, You know, morality is relative and all this other stuff. And, you know, that's not the kind of person we want to attract to the channel. So I have no problem if people like that do not subscribe to the channel and watch us. That does not bother me at all. I think the fact that we do push virtue here on the channel and uh, goodness and faith, I think that brings the right people and keeps the right people here. That is why we like to talk about it. And yes, that may sacrifice subscribers. That may make some other sacrifices, which you may find important out there. But if this closes me out of a particular market enough, well, then that opens up an opportunity for somebody else to enter the market and take that market share and to educate those people who may not be very turned on to what we're doing here. And that's okay. That's okay. If you don't like the things that we're doing here, I understand. And I don't say this in any kind of passive aggressive way. You can start your own channel and you can get the information and intel out yourself. Um, That is the glory of the free market, I guess you could say. That is the glory of life. You know, we're diverse people. And it can't just be me and a very select few of other people who are getting out there and talking about this stuff. It has to be more people. Um, You wouldn't be as antagonistic towards me. And I'm not saying you're being antagonistic. You're trying to be helpful. And I think I recognize you. You want us to have like a bajillion subscribers. You're very optimistic about the channel. I love you. You're great. But uh, some others who may be antagonistic, well, look, we need more people out here. Um, My channel wouldn't be as big of an issue if we had more people out there who were talking about what we're talking about here on the channel. Unfortunately, we don't. And so I think a lot of people, um, they vicariously through me want to have the Monero movement succeed and they see me as someone who may get in the way of that potential if I'm talking about Christianity, if I'm talking about my faith. And again, my response to that is, look, start your own channel, get your own intel out there. We definitely need more people. And so, again, that's not passive aggressive. That's just me giving you my point of view. It's an honest point of view. I really think that virtue is important when it comes to this stuff because ultimately we don't want just riches. We don't want gains. Uh, Freedom is nice, but I don't think you're going to get freedom if freedom is your highest value. You know, it's sort of like the libertarians who think that, oh, we need freedom. We need it now. And then they're all about like opening the borders to like hordes of third worlders who are going to come in, vote communist, and then bring them into a total dystopian totalitarian nightmare. <laughs> like the, those libertarians, they don't have uh, a higher value, I don't think. I don't think that they have the right perspective as to how this stuff works. You need strategy, you need virtue, and you need to protect your people. And we're going to talk about the Pope a little bit in this video today. This is probably going to be a longer video. It's a long opening. I'm sorry to this person, but I just wanted to get that out there. It's part of the conversation. But the Pope, you know, he isn't looking after his flock. He isn't looking after his people. You know, the Pope, which is one of the reasons why I didn't go to Roman Catholicism, for example, uh, was very... Uh, gung-ho about opening Europe's borders and having Europe be flooded with uh, Islamists from war-torn countries, largely military-aged men, by the way, 
who have come in and who have uh, tortured, killed, and done other terrible things to the Christians of Europe who live there. Uh, the Pope has completely abandoned his flock. Now he's saying that, you know, I, I think he said this when Trump was president. He was like, oh, you guys can't have a wall. That's not allowed. And he has a wall, right? You know, he's like, God doesn't put up walls. God welcomes everybody. Meanwhile, the Vatican has a huge wall around it. So very hypocritical. And then he's now saying that you need to have uh, this digital ID, this digital passport in order to come visit the Vatican. <clears throat> and so, you know, that's not the Christian way at all. Like Christians back in ancient Rome, they became very popular because when diseases started to come through Rome, um, the Christians were the ones that were going in to help the diseased people, risking their own lives, while the pagans were running to the, the foothills, you know, they were running out of the cities trying to escape for their lives. The Christians were the ones running into the cities, not afraid of disease, not afraid to lose their lives, to look after the fellow man. And that's where the Christians got a lot of credit. But now you have the Pope who's saying, no, you, we want to make sure you're not, uh, you know, an unwashed plebe, which is, you know, the people that Jesus was looking after in most cases. We want to make sure that you're going along with the new New World Order program, basically. And so, uh, you know, he's part of that whole thing. And there are a lot of people who think that the Vatican has been taken over by Satanists. I don't know about that. I haven't read too much into that. Jay Dyer has talked a little bit about that. I think that there are good videos on that if you want to look into it. But that's one reason why I wouldn't particularly go back to the Catholic Church. And um, I think that tying into what we were saying previously, we need to look after each other as Christians, as people of virtue. We need to look after each other because the numbers are getting thinner and thinner and thinner, and the pressure upon us is getting ever more tight and strong. And so I think that the community that we want to appeal to is more than the Monero community or the crypto community. What we're trying to do is we're trying to preserve civilization here. Like we're trying to lift the flame of liberty high and the flame of virtue and the flame of Christ and however you want to put it. We want to attract people of good spirit to our camp so that we could plan together as to how we're going to survive this stuff because we're under attack. They're making their move. And so... That is why I include this as part of the program. So I hope that uh, clears some things up as to my perspective behind this stuff. I could go into more detail. Go check out our video, Christ and Crypto. We made that a while ago. Not a popular video at all. But I think that there is some good stuff there as to why we incorporate Christ into crypto. Go check that out. And we've intermittently talked about this over and over again. So to get on to the patron's request, and I'm sorry, the patron, uh, that doesn't have much to do with your question, but I just wanted to go over that. Uh, so this is your email, patron, uh, Anthony. So let me just read this so that everybody knows where we're coming from. A video idea is that a video idea that I would be interested in hearing more about is the Orthodox Church and why you selected it versus other potential branches of formalized Christianity. As an Episcopalian, I would find that interesting, as I enjoy the pageantry of our services without the, the poppery of the Roman Catholic Church. Um, well, then you might not like the Orthodox Church, because we... Poppery, I'm not sure what poppery means. I'm not sure if that means uh, 
you know, pomp, like grandiosity, because when you go into an Orthodox church, and I'll read you from my journal some of my initial experiences of the Orthodox church, um, so that you can get sort of a download as to what they're like. Um, and you seem pretty smart. You seem pretty inquisitive in regards to these things. So maybe you've looked into this already. Um, but we'll get to that. Also, if there is a specific English translation of the scripture that you or the Orthodox Church prefer over others, uh, let me know. I debate myself, which is the best for studying and memorizing. Thanks, Anthony. All right. So, well, thank you, Anthony. First, let me just go ahead and uh, get that established, the scripture that we read. So what a lot of us like to read is the Orthodox Study Bible. This is a Bible which is really good for getting an Orthodox perspective on what you read. Because as you go go throughout the book, there are tons and tons of footnotes. Like, let me... So if you look at the bottom section, like from here to here, those are all footnotes that tell you uh, what the church fathers interpreted this scripture as and uh, what we in the Orthodox faith are to interpret from the scriptures. Because in the Orthodox faith, um, we very much value um, antiquity. We very much value uh, wisdom which has been passed down from our church fathers, from the elders, uh, it's different in Protestantism. And I think that Episcopalian is a uh, branch of Protestantism, if I'm not mistaken. And so uh, we place a value on an interpretation of the Scripture uh, that is tried and true, that is um, well-established in our community. And we take that interpretation because... The thing that you want to avoid, and let me just say first off that I am not an apologist of the Orthodox Church. I am not somebody who is well-versed in theology enough to make any cases against a particular faith or for the Orthodox faith, and to do that is actually quite dangerous. There's a guy named Cabane on YouTube who is a good apologist for the Orthodox faith. He's got great information out there. Go give him a follow. But uh, for me, it I don't want to say things about the faith which are incorrect or heretical. So let me just make that clear. I'm not in a position where I can be any kind of authority on this stuff. So um, I'm going to make this response experiential for the most part. We can go into the theology a little bit and with the caveat that, look, I am somebody who is not ready for that level of uh, theological digging into. And if you want that, go to Jay Dyer, go to Brother Augustine, go to Cabane, go to Rushvi. He's got some pretty good stuff on this stuff, too, although he's relatively new as well. Jay Dyer is certainly, I think, one of the best out there to go learn from. But let me just say that. But back to my earlier point, with the Protestants— it's sort of like, here's the Bible, interpret it as you will. There is uh, something called the uh, Post Scriptura or something like this. Um, Soma Scriptura. It, there's some uh, theological position which is taken by Protestants that says that the Bible is the supreme source of wisdom and is the supreme avenue that is to be taken 
to getting closer with God and attaining salvation. Um, and in the Orthodox Church, the Bible can't be taken out of the context of liturgy. Uh, you can't have one without the other. Um, in fact, again, I'm just speaking... Uh, well, let me just say this. You need liturgy, because liturgy actually came before the canonical formulation of the Bible. In fact, I wrote this down, because I knew we'd be talking about this. Yes, so the Orthodox Church, I believe, started with the Apostles in 33 AD, and the Bible wasn't canonized until 397 AD at the Council of Carthage. And so we place a lot of credence, creed, no pun intended, uh, on liturgy, on going to liturgy. And you can't fully understand the Bible outside of the context of liturgy. And that's another thing about orthodoxy is that it's very communal. Um, And we'll get to that here in a sec. But this is what we use, the Orthodox Study Bible. So I would go get one of those. It's really um, informative for catechumens and for inquisitors of the faith, or inquirers of the faith, not inquisitors, goodness. Um, And just to show you that there's something different about the Orthodox Study Bible or the Orthodox Bible in general. I believe they use the Greek Septuagint, or, goodness, hold on, it says somewhere here. They have more books than other faiths, than the Catholic faith and the Protestant faith. So the Orthodox Old Testament also has the prayer of Manasseh, uh, known as 1 and 2, Esdras, and some other books. The Hymn of the Three Young Men. And yes, yes. So go check this out. Um I believe they used the old Greek Septuagint. I'm not saying that right. Septuagint, I think that's the right way to say it. Okay. But enough of that. I'm still definitely digging through a lot of this stuff. There's a lot to go through here. And if you're also curious, I was going to mention this a little bit later because this will tie into one of our points, but this is The Orthodox Way by Metropolitan Callistos Ware, Timothy Callistos. Um, there's an earlier book you're going to want to get. I talked to my spiritual father about this. I told him that I had this book and he said that he had actually recommended to get his previous book, which is the Orthodox church. And that is a good predecessor to this book, the Orthodox way. And then of course we've been reading on our channel, the law of God by Daniel Sizoyev. Uh, and so those are all good resources to start with. But as far as Scripture, the Holy Orthodox Study Bible is the way to go with that. So that's the long answer to that. And I'm sorry, this is not going to be as concise as I would like it to be because I haven't talked about this stuff in a while. My mind's been totally oriented towards the other things that we do talk about. So um, I'll be glitchy, okay, but we will get through this. Um, So here's my personal story as to how I got to the Orthodox Church, and I'll make this brief. So... I was very much interested in the manosphere, I guess you could say. And this was going back maybe 
three or four years, something like this. And before then, uh, I was an atheist. I dibble dabbled in you know Zen Buddhism, listened to a lot of Alan Watts. Uh, you know, got into Taoism a little bit. I I found that really nourishing because it wasn't an organized religion. It was a way. It was a philosophy. And I found that really enticing. And I got into Greco-Roman philosophy, and that eventually took me to Stoicism, uh, which was something highly uh, promoted by the Manosphere. And Stoicism made a lot of sense. It was all about uh, you know, giving up control of that which is outside of your control. It's sort of like the prayer of serenity. Um, you know, give me the wisdom to accept the things that I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and, and the wisdom to know the difference. What's that first one? Give me the serenity, of course, this, to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, the wisdom to know the difference, right? So it's sort of like that embodied in a philosophy. But in Stoicism, uh, there was a focus on something called the Logos. And the Logos in Stoicism was sort of like their god of swords. Uh, it's universal rationality that's embedded in the integral order of nature, which we can see all around us. And although you know you could deem it as a self-help philosophy, there is that kind of spiritual element to it, where there is a higher order at play. There is this thing called the Logos, which is embedded in the very nature in the very fabric of reality. And that idea was very curious to me. And if you look back at early Christian theology uh, with St. Paul and John, you will find, uh, you know, some trace elements of Stoicism, actually. Stoicism played a pretty significant role in the rollout of early Christian theology. And a lot of that was because of their concept of the Locos. And I believe that E. Michael Jones talks about how in order to sell uh, or adequately present the life of Christ and the Gospels to the Greeks, he put Jesus into the context of the Locos. Like, that's where it started. And Christ is the Locos. He is the Word. He is um, he's God, right? And... Um, that brought me to thinking about God more. And I was having light bulbs go off, and, you know, at this time, I was also starting to attend churches. Because something interesting happens when you get to, you know, age 24, 25. You get to a point of maturity where you say to yourself, okay, I need to find something that's bigger than me to sacrifice for. Um, I don't know what that is, but I feel a yearning to go out to worship something, to go out and sacrifice myself for something that is bigger than I am, and to serve. Uh, I think that happens with most people, and maybe that's what contributes to the core life crisis that a lot of people have. Like, they don't know what that thing is to sacrifice themselves for. A lot of people look into a career to do that. A lot of people look into uh, faith or something else to do that. They start families around that time too, uh, normally. And so uh, that's part of the life of a man, I think. When you get to 24, 25, you're looking for that community or that family or that higher thing than yourself to become a part of. And so I started to go to church, you know, because in our modern society, 
there aren't many places for you to go. And also people go to politics, too. That's something that I've noticed. Uh, they integrate themselves into a particular political movement, an ideological movement, or whatever. Uh, but I started to go to church because I wanted to run into decent people, good people. And so I started to go to non-denominational churches around my area with my friend, who was also a Christian. And, you know, we would go to these churches, and it would be like nightclubs except the morning, right? I mean, the woman would be walking around with miniskirts, and if I'm being completely honest with you, it's not like that wasn't on my mind, right? You know, it's a good place to meet women. Maybe they're more traditionally oriented. Um, and we'll get to maybe one of these stories I have here for you. But anyways, we'll leave that for later. But anyways, I started to go to church. And I found myself, when I went to these non-denominational churches, rather unsatisfied. Um, everyone could partake in the Eucharist. Everybody was, uh, you know, treating this as more a social event rather than a personal spiritual event. Um, it, it was almost like a self-help seminar that you'd be going to with some of these non-denominational churches. Um, you know, you'd have like cool dude bro who had his jeans on, uh, you know, longer hair, and you know, he just wanted to tell you how great you were um, and how much. He wasn't, like, at the level of Joel Osteen where he's just like, you're going to conquer uh, cancer, you're going to be rich, and things like this, right? Um, and I'm not saying Joel Osteen has bad energy. I got to tell you, sometimes I've listened to Joel Osteen, and I'm like, that's a really good, really good uh, speech right there, Joel. I really like that. And sometimes I come away with uh, a good bit of positivity. I like Joel. I, I like Joel. Are you going to beat that medical report? <laughs> he always says that, dude. I don't know why he says that, but he does. Um, cool guy, but, you know, it's not that prosperity gospel that I was looking for when I was going to new church. I was looking for something deeper. And so I was unfulfilled. I mean, my friend naturally stopped going. And then uh, the bug hit, and that sent everything into a tailspin. Uh, I went through my own particular tribulations with that. Some of that didn't have much to do with uh, the bug. Some of that had to do with terrible decisions that I was making. And maybe we'll go into this another time because I'm half embarrassed by this stuff. Half, we've already been talking for 25 minutes. So maybe we'll leave that for another time. But I was going through some issues in my life. And... I knew that I wanted a relationship with God, but I needed that community too. It's, it's, it's not like I could just pray by my bedside every night, and that would be enough. Like I needed a community to do this with, and I needed to have a spiritual father that could mentor me. Like you need that. You need that. But I didn't know where to go, you know, because I was looking out there, and I saw some of these churches that were celebrating uh, pride, and I don't even know if you could say that previous word, uh, homo pride. And, you know, as a Christian, even if you're not a serious Christian, you can see how that's a total satanic inversion of, you know, what churches are supposed to be representing. And it's, you know, indicative of that larger trend of the betrayal of the churches of their flock, or just the weakness of the churches, right? 
because the the flag is supposed to represent God's new covenant with his people, like the rainbow flag, or just the rainbow as a symbol. It's supposed to represent God's new covenant with his people after the flood. And it's supposed to be a promise of uh, the purpose that human beings have in God's divine plan. And for that symbol to be inverted to represent not only homosexuality, but also pride, which is the deadliest sin of all, is quite obviously an uh, inversion of Christian faith. It is an aberration, and you could say an abomination. But I saw, I saw like churches, Protestant churches everywhere, starting to hang these pride flags outside of their churches so as to welcome LGBT. I mean, it, I saw that as weakness. And even if you're not Christian, you would see that, and you would just say to yourself, do these people even know what they believe? Because it's one thing to have a group that you don't like, and a lot of people in the United States and in the West, they do not like Christians. But it's one thing to not like Christians for what they believe. It's another thing to see your enemy, if you see your Christians as if you see Christians as enemies, it's another thing to see your enemy be weak and to then try to appeal to people that hate you and to people that don't like you. Uh, that is just despicable, it's disgusting, and it's repulsive. And that was my experience when I saw that. So I didn't want to go to any of those churches. At these non-denominational churches and at some of these other Protestant churches, you have like these rock concerts where, you know, you'd have like these pop singers like singing these songs. And the presumption was that this was, you know, in worship, but there's a lot of pride that you can sense when you watch some of these uh, performances. You know, the singers, they're doing the tremolos with the voices like, and they're going like through five different octaves, right? But, uh, you know, it's not modest. It's not uh, obvious that it is a worship of God. It's a worship of maybe their talents or how good they look. Like some of these women are dressed rather scantily and immodestly. And you don't want to see that if you're looking for a traditional conservative Christian community, which is just a normal Christian community at the end of the day. Like, I, I think a lot of people when they go to the Orthodox Church, they're like, whoa, this is weird. But to me, I don't really see that as weird. It's just we live in such a sick society that has moved so far from God and has moved to the edges of what could possibly be considered um, normal, right? That you go to the Orthodox Church and you see women who have the headscarves and you see people kissing icons and you see people worshiping with uh, passionate spirit, like, that used to be normal. Like, that used to be something which was quite uh, regularly accepted as being normal. And so I didn't find too much fulfillment with what I saw. And I don't mean to challenge the faith, again, as I said earlier in this video, of anyone who is of any particular faith or denomination otherwise. I'm just telling you my experience. Uh, and so I was rather unimpressed with uh, the Protestant churches that I saw. 
I was confused as to why there were so many different Protestant denominations. I mean, there are like 40,000 different denominations, I think. And a lot of that goes back to what we were talking about, the Bible. And, you know, you can interpret this however you want to. You don't need to have an interpretation given to you. You can just read it and come to your own interpretations, which basically means you can go through the Bible and you can find anything that fits your already existing worldview. Um, it's not about obeying God, obeying His commandments, and obeying the interpretations that are passed down to you to become a part of the traditional faith, which requires you to sacrifice maybe habits that you have and uh, certain beliefs that you have. No, it's about using the Bible then as a way to justify what it is that you already think, believe, feel, and do. And I think that's why you have 40,000 different denominations to many degrees. So, I was not going to church. I felt a little bit lost. There was no church that I could really become a part of. Because I wasn't going to trust the Pope. Um, The Pope, to me, had destroyed all legitimacy in the Catholic Church. Especially because of Vatican II, which made it so that the Pope was, you know, infallible. You can't really challenge what the Pope says. And given the Pope saying what the Pope had said and doing what the Pope had done. It's just like, there's no way. I mean, it's so obviously um, twisted over there. I'm not sure what's going on, but I I can't go that direction. And then uh, the Protestants, as we talked about. So I was just sitting out. I believed in God, and I had an idea as to what my faith was. It wasn't developed, and my faith still is developing, and the great thing about orthodoxy is that there's so much to learn, there's so much room to grow that you're always going to be developing the rest of your life. It's not a faith that you just get baptized and you're done, you're going to heaven. It's a constant struggle, and we'll get to that here. But I was listening to someone by the name of Rush V, and some of you all know Rush. Uh, He came down with an illness recently. Go ahead and pray for him. Uh, He seems to be going through some tribulation himself. So he, uh, you know, he, he was coming out with these podcasts, and I forgot how it is I found him. Oh, I know exactly how it was. So this is an interesting story. So, again, as I was telling you guys, I was in the manosphere, or at least I was interested in what they were talking about. And I kept hearing these references from some of these people in the manosphere about Roosh, because Roosh was one of the early, I guess I could say apostles, no pun intended, of the... Uh, manosphere. You know, he's coming out with the pickup books, you know, game books, and things like this. And a lot of people, uh, you know, worshipped him almost to a certain degree because of his wisdom in regards to getting the chicks and getting the girls and things like this. And so, I kept hearing these people say, yeah, yeah, I bred Rouge, that's how I got into it. Shame what happened to him, though. And, like, I kept hearing that more and more. Like, man, it's crazy what happened to Rouge. Man, isn't that wild? Rouge, yeah, but he used to have a lot of good stuff back in the day, didn't he? And I was just always curious, like, what did happen to Rouge? Nobody's saying what happened to Rouge, but they keep, like, referencing referencing it and then just going on. So, like, what did happen to Rouge? And so I looked it up, and I started to listen to Rouge. I wanted to get his take. And I started listening, and I realized that this guy had his finger on the pulse of something. 
you know, because he used to be a degenerate pickup artist. He used to be, you know, going around to different continents to pick up women, to write books, to make videos, to make blog posts. His whole life was, uh, his whole life is about picking up chicks. There's another word for that. Um, it starts with an F. Uh, fornicating. Yeah, his life is all about fornicating. And so he had his sister, unfortunately, pass away. And he had realized that he was completely wasting his life and that he didn't know what he was doing with his life. He felt completely empty inside. He didn't know what uh, purpose he had. And he felt really ashamed of what he had been doing. And so he decided that he was going to start going back to church with his family. And at the time, he was going to, I believe, an Armenian Orthodox church. And then he recently made the decision that he's going to go real core. He's going to go to the Russian Orthodox Church. And I'll compare my experiences between those two churches because um, I started out going to a Greek Orthodox Church, and then now I ended up at the uh, Russian Orthodox Church, just as he did. And I think a lot of other people are doing that as well, as we'll get into. But he was talking about the Orthodox Church, and he was talking about all of these different things going on in society and he was offering a Christian take on it and everything was resonating very deeply with me. He was talking about the debauchery and the degeneracy in society. He was talking about how, why this is all a consequence of people losing faith in Christ and because of you know the Satanists who have taken over our world. And we've talked about that in other videos. We're not going to dig too much into that now. But um, he understood that we were in a spiritual war and that he had come under spiritual attack, and all of us, to some degree, come under spiritual attack in our own lives. And he highlighted the importance of going back to church and integrating oneself into the true faith, which was the Orthodox faith. And so one of the things that brought me to the Orthodox Church in particular was the great spirit of everybody that I had met in the Orthodox Church and the people that I had listened to in the Orthodox Church. One of the greatest testimonies that you could give as a Christian is not in your sermons, not in your moralizing, not in any of this stuff. It's just the way that you are, the way that you live, the way that you speak, the way that you look, the way that you show up to live life and interact with your everyday man. And when I saw these Orthodox Christians, I noticed a deep, attractive spirit about them as if they had figured out something and they knew something. And that spirit of comfort and inner peace and grace that they had was very, very attractive to me because throughout my entire life, I've always been looking for the answers, right? I, I've studied my quantum physics. I've studied my neuroscience. I've tried to understand consciousness. I've gotten into the deep woods of reality to figure out how this all came to be, how I came to be, what my purpose is, what happens after death and things like this. You know, I've looked into reincarnation and karma, many different world religions. I've been a seeker. And to see these people just be okay in a state of grace with their faith, I found that really, really attractive. And so I start to look into the Orthodox faith. 
I start to study online. I start to listen to videos um, laying out the basics of orthodoxy. And interestingly enough, uh, coincidentally enough, I was listening to this one father by the name of Father Barnaby. And if you look up Orthodoxy 101 on YouTube, like Orthodoxy Boot Camp or something like this, you'll find Father Barnaby. And these videos are about seven or eight years old. And he had said in one of his videos, uh, come join us sometime at Raphael, Irene, and Nicholas Orthodox Church in, uh, I believe it was Marietta, Georgia or something like this. And I was like, did you just say Marietta, Georgia? And I don't want to disclose where I am, but that was within driving distance of me. And so I was like, wow, that, that's amazing. I got to go check this guy out. And I invariably did. But um, I started listening. And the way that he talked about salvation, the way that he talked about art, and the way that he talked about how orthodoxy was about the way to Christ— and many other things, it just struck a deep, deep chord with me. The way that they embraced the mystery of Christ and the mystery of the faith, rather than trying to dissect everything like we do in the West to, you know, get every last detail extracted out of the Bible and our faith so that we could understand things in like a legalistic sense rather than in an experiential kind of mystical sense. Uh, that was very attractive to me, too. And he had made an illusion that when you dissect something too much, you end up killing it. And I thought that was a really elucidating and brilliant point. You know, there are some things that just cannot be known. And after looking into quantum physics with, you know, quantum teleportation and spooky action at a distance with quantum... Um, quantum uh, coherence, something like this you never truly get to the bottom of things. And so to embrace the mystical and to embrace the mystery, that was very attractive to me as well. It was a sign of humility that we don't have all the answers. And perhaps we are not worthy enough creatures to understand the full glory of God and of his mysterious, his mysterious nature, right? So that all made a lot of sense to me. And so I decided, you know what, I'm going to go to an Orthodox church. That's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to plunge into it. I'm going to check it out. And it's a little bit nerve-wracking, right? It's a little bit nerve-wracking. But I was looking on the website for this Greek Orthodox church, which is close to me. And it was a beautiful church, and so I was like, it's going to be cool. And I was looking on the website, and that Sunday... It was the Sunday of Matthew, or one of the Sundays of Matthew. And so that rang a chord with me. My name is Matteo, or Matt, Matthew, however you want to put it. I was like, okay, that's a sign. We're going. And so I recorded my experience of this in my journal. Uh, yeah, so this is my experience. Let me read this for you, and maybe you'll find this interesting. Uh, I said here, I'm coming much closer now to the wonderful Christian faith. Yes, on Sunday, yesterday, I visited the Holy... Oh, I'm not going to say the name of the church. I visited this Greek Orthodox church. I must say the experience was spectacular. The place was adorned with beauty and a holy energy inside and out. The first person I met was a 
greeter named Mike. We got acquainted, and he encouraged me to light a candle and make a prayer. I did, and when I stuck that candle in the sand, I felt a kind of reality to my prayer. I walked inside to sit. I was a bit taken aback at first to the singing of Scripture. I'm not sure what the name for it is. It sounds like what you would hear imams do at a mosque. After a few minutes, though, the chant song of the Scripture becomes somewhat mesmerizing and enchanting. The smell of incense was in the air, and the priests were lo- wore long, beautiful golden robes that had intricate designs and crosses on them. The art inside was reminiscent of medieval European Renaissance art. And since then, I've learned the difference between medieval Renaissance art uh, and orthodoxy icons, iconographic art. Uh, orthodox iconographic art is very two-dimensional. Whereas with Renaissance art, it's more three-dimensional. And there was a split over that because the purpose of iconographic art was to grant the viewer of the art a kind of theological insight into the faith. And with Renaissance art, there was a bit of ego attached to that because of its grandiosity and because of uh, the detail and the realism that was embedded into the art. But that's a whole other thing. Um Continuing realistic with a sense of innate divinity. Atop the inside of the main ceremony hall was a grand image of Jesus with his 12 disciples surrounding him. And it was like a dome. Uh, The work was built in a Sistine Chapel-like dome, right? So it was like a dome. You look up, there's like this giant dome, there's Jesus painted on it. And then around it, circumventing Jesus, were his disciples. It was really quite something. And then I said, this was all painted, according to Father Michael, on scaffolds. It was a work of majesty. Then there was the unbelievable work of the wood-carved wall, and I believe they call that the iconoclasty, which served as a kind of dividing point between the attendees and the holy priests who were behind this ark, iconoclasty, in the room beyond. Uh, it was like a gate between the world of man and the world of the divine. Anyways, this wall-slash-ark had fine-carved, intricate designs and patterns laced onto the wood. Father Michael had told me that this was made by Cretans. <laughs> I think they're called Cretans, over in the Isle of Crete, over in Greece, over a period of two years. And it was absolutely quite something. The detail was so intricate. And this thing was huge. I mean, this thing would, like, literally take up a space wider than my apartment. I mean, just ginormous. And yes, you could definitely see how it could take two years. Uh, You could feel palpably the sense of devotion and dedication within the hearts of these craftsmen. Uh, The quote-unquote mass in Orthodox churches is called the divine liturgy. Let me say declaratively, the spirit I felt at that ceremony of worship was stronger than I have felt in almost any church I've ever been to. I say that even though it was one of the most sparsely populated church ceremonies I've gone to, and this was to some degree when people were still scared of the bug and everything like this, um, there were roughly 40, 50 people in attendance, uh, though it would have likely been more if it was not for the bug, right? So I enjoyed the liturgy for about an hour until communion began. And this is interesting. Uh, This occurrence was a bit awkward, as when I approached Father Michael to take communion, he asked me who I was and if I was Orthodox. I've never been questioned when taking communion, uh, 
which I had done easily for hundreds of times prior at many other Christian and Catholic churches. Right, and so when you go to, like, denominational churches, they don't really ask you if you're a Christian. They just assume you're there. You can partake. It's just one big party, right? Um, yeah, so we go back and forth here. I go into the details to what happened. He basically asked me, are you Orthodox? I'm like, uh, well, I want to be. And he's like, well, no, are you Orthodox? And I'm like, uh, well, no, I was born Roman Catholic. And, like, I really wanted to take the communion because I've never been denied communion before, right? And I didn't know that there was this rule where if you weren't Orthodox, you couldn't take communion. Um, and, you know, I had the line behind me. My face was turning red. And I'm like, Dude, just give it to me, okay? <laughs> and so uh, he asked again, are you Orthodox? And I was like, yeah, baptized Christian, right, right, right. And he said, he would grant me a blessing, but I could not take communion unless I was Orthodox. He said to speak to him after the liturgy, which I did. Great guy. And he was a great guy. Uh, he's from Boston. And he just recently had twins, so he's doing great. But wow, was I embarrassed. I felt rejected and slightly ashamed. Uh, deep down, though, I sincerely respected their discretion on who they allowed to participate in their sacred sacraments. They also don't just baptize and convert anyone either. You must attend their classes and become educated about the faith, which is what I'm doing now in the Orthodox Church. Um, the sermon was given by Father John, and it was a sermon that really hit me deep. He talked about the sacrament of being and being there. One way to simply be a good Christian friend person is to just be there and listen to people, even if you don't know what to say to them. To just be there as a show of support and love is powerful. Uh, yes, and this goes into what he was talking about. So long story short, the experience was spiritually rejuvenating and inspiring. I am so elated that I took the chance and went. And so, yes, I, I said I will continue to go, etc. So that was my first experience at an Orthodox church, the Greek Orthodox church. Um, and I started to look more into the faith. Um, I was listening to apologists like Jay Dyer and some of the others I had mentioned before, and they had spoken very positively about the Rocor Church. And one thing that Roosh said that really stuck with me was, go find a church which has families there, which has a lot of youth there and children. Because if a vine is not of life, it will not breed fruit. And you want to look for those vines that are reaping fruit, which is to say that if a church has life in it, if it's truly got spirit in it, it'll have the youth there. It'll have families. It'll have people reproducing which is something more rare here in the West. And in some of these Greek Orthodox churches, in my experience, I saw a lot of old folks there. And from one of my Baptist friends, he goes to Baptist churches and some other churches. You'll notice a lot of old people there as well. You won't find a lot of youth there. You'll find a lot of youth at these non-denominational churches where it's sort of like a party, it's a social gathering, uh, you know, you've got pop stars singing and things like this. You'll find a lot of youth there, but we talked about that earlier. That wasn't very fulfilling to me. But when I went to the Russian Orthodox Church, and let me just tell you my experience there, 
there was a lot of families there, a lot of children, and the devotion that these children had to Christ, they would come in, and I'm talking about these children being like, you know, seven, eight young children. They would go in, bow before the Christ, do prostrations, kiss the icons, and then go back with their families. I mean, have you ever seen children that devoted to anything other than like, you know, video games or whatever? Like, I saw that. I was like, whoa, that's amazing. And so let me go ahead and read this. July, uh, okay, so here, God's providence is in full effect. I know that I am in the right pl- uh, on the right path. Before attending liturgy yesterday morning, upon getting into my car, I saw a piece of paper on the ground next to my door. Uh, that had a big heart drawn on top of it. Right, so that was interesting. I walked out to my car and I saw a big heart literally outside of the car door, just sitting there. And I was a little bit nervous about going to this new church, as anyone is. You know, you're going by yourself to this new community. Uh, You don't know who you're going to meet there. You don't know what's going to be there. So there's a little bit of anticipation there. But when I saw the heart, it was just God telling me, you're going to the right place. Um, And so, yeah, back to this. This gave me the confidence that God was walking with me to this Orthodox church I was newly attending, the Russian Orthodox Church of I won't say it. I drove there and arrived at around 9.30. There were already numerous people there praying. This Orthodox church was different than others I had been to in that there were no pews. All had to stand, kneel, or prostrate. Everyone in this church was very reverent. Many crossed themselves and bowed what seemed like every five or ten seconds. There had to have been hundreds of icons in this holy and beautiful place. Not only that... There were dozens of holy artifacts from well-known Orthodox saints displayed under a glass box on the side of the prayer hall. There were bricks from tombs, pieces of cloth from worn robes, crosses, medals, etc. Also, there was incense that produced thick smoke that filled the air. And when the sunlight shone through the triangular-shaped windows above, the rays of light manifested as radiant beams from heaven in the prayer hall. In short, this place was very spiritually alluring. It got even more wonderful. Christian families with gaggles of children filled the room for liturgy. All the women and girls wore modest dresses and skirts, along with headscarves. This was another primary difference I noticed between the Russian and Greek Orthodox churches. Uh, Because in the Greek Orthodox churches, it's a little bit more liberal. Um, Women are still rather uh, modest when they are at the Greek Orthodox Church. They're not wearing what you would see them wear at some of these non-denominational churches, but uh, they weren't wearing headscarves or going the whole nine yards like they were going here at the Russian Orthodox Church. So uh, back to this. Next, the choir began to sing, and the angels began to soar through the hall, and it was just beautiful, seriously. One of these choir singers perhaps took a liking to me. Okay, well, that was my pride kicking in. I'm not going to go into that. Uh, She was pretty. Maybe next time. Nevertheless, they sang gloriously. There is something mystically soothing about Orthodox chants and choir music. I have even become accustomed to listening to Russian Orthodox choir set lists on YouTube when I work, read, pray, and sleep. Uh, I think it truly calms the soul, and I think that's right. Yeah, it's fantastic. And if you guys are more interested in that, email me. I'll send you some uh, set lists, which are really enjoyable. 
Upon getting ready for communion, I went to the back of the prayer hall because I knew that I couldn't partake. Uh, when I was back there, I ran into another young man, presumably my age, named Jonathan. We got to talking about our experience of the liturgy. He was also new. It was his second time. He spoke a little too loudly and earned the shush of another parishioner. Uh, he was embarrassed and quickly stopped. I said, clearly it's your second time indeed. <laughs> this guy who had shushed him is perhaps going to end up being my uh, godfather, actually. So, again, Providence played in. Uh, I had ran into him in another instance when I was going to the Orthodox Church, you know, at like 12 o'clock in the afternoon one day. Um, and I saw him there working on a door. Long story short, we got into like a two-hour-long conversation. And, uh, you know, we were in the prayer hall, and he looked over at me. He's just like, yeah, I like it when it's quiet in here. Uh, even when there's nobody in here, I whisper because you want to be respectful. And last Sunday, I had to tell these two kids to shh because they just didn't get it. And I was like, I think I know who you're talking about. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so that's just more providence that you see at these places. Um, anyways, communion ended and a line formed to approach a priest with a big cross and, bl and blessed bread. The line was very long, but I stayed in. Fifteen minutes later, I approached, kissed the cross, and the hand of the priest received a blessing along with the bread. I left thereafter pleased with my first Russian Orthodox experience. And then I did some other things. But, yes, that was my experience of the Russian Orthodox Church, and it's only gotten better since. As I've come to know the spiritual father, as I've made many friends, um, just the place is spectacular. It's a really good spirit. So that's my personal experience. I've been talking for almost an hour, which blows my mind. And I'm sorry that this is so long. I hope that this is informative to a certain degree. Um, I haven't talked about this at all on the channel, and so I'm a little bit slow going through this, so I hope that you'll forgive me for that, but this is important to get to. Now, you're wondering perhaps more about the Orthodox faith and uh, why it is I decided to take this route. So I've made a couple points here um, of things that I really took a liking to, and First thing I want to start off is the spirit of the church, and I had talked about some of this in my experiences, but I really like how the Orthodox Church is very patriarchal. Um, this is going to ruffle some feathers. That's fine. But I like how the men are in charge. I like how the men are the ones who are giving you the Eucharist. I like how the men are the ones who are doing the sermons and are connecting with us as to the suffering that is embedded in life and how to, through Christ, lead your family and lead yourself to salvation. That There's something intrinsically uh, more fulfilling about listening to a man tell you about the hardships of life than a woman. And I'm just going to be honest, okay? Uh being a man, maybe I'm biased in that, but um, that's not me saying that women have easier lives or anything like that. Although, um, you know, men, men, especially during times like this, I think have more responsibility 
on their shoulder, and you want to listen to other men who have experienced the tribulations and sufferings of life to give you insights to move through that stuff. So that's my personal experience. I like that it's patriarchal. Uh, you're allowed to just be a man there. Uh, everyone's got beards, which is great. Uh, I fit right in. And so I love it. I love it. There's great masculine energy there. There's great feminine energy there too. I mean, at Russian Orthodox churches, the women are very uh, conciliatory. They're very nice. They're very charitable uh, and inquisitive about you. They'll ask about you, and they're just very feminine. I like feminine women, and I like masculine men. That makes you weird in today's society, but that's what I like. That's what I want. So that's great. Uh, in the Orthodox Church, there is an emphasis on experience. We talked about this earlier. The experience of the faith is not as intellectual as it is in other denominations and in other uh, branches of the faith. And it's not as juridical. It's not as legally oriented. And that's a feeling that I get when I go into a Catholic church, for instance, to some degree, at least in regards to a Novus Ordo Catholic church, not so much. I've never been to a, a Latin Mass. Let me just put it, let me just put that out there. I've never experienced a traditional Catholic Latin Mass. And now that, you know, the Pope has come out to severely restrict Latin Mass, and now you have to get permission from a bishop in order to have a Latin Mass, and the bishops are largely liberal, so they're not going to you know, be so gung-ho to make that happen. Maybe I won't, unfortunately. But um, in the Novus Order Catholic Church, I feel like I'm going into a courtroom, and I don't like that relative to the Orthodox experience. When you go into an Orthodox church, the smell of the incense, the art you see all around you, the beautiful paintings, the beautiful iconography um, of the saints, of Christ, of the Theotokos, that all is very powerful. And the enchantings of the scripture, the enchantings of the prayers, this is all very engaging of the senses. And there are some phase and there are some uh, traditions. I think Buddhism is sort of like this, where you do not want to engage so much your senses because the priority is placed on the spiritual world as opposed to the physical world. And in some traditions, the physical world is that which distracts you and that which draws you down and kills your spirit. To become more spiritual in some of these traditions, it's to completely ignore that, to go into like, you know, a nirvana type of state where you're just sitting there in a zone, which I used to meditate all the time. This used to be my thing. Uh, but what I have found is that there's nothing wrong with engaging the senses. And make sure, though, if you do engage the senses, you are cognizant of what comes into your sensual reality. Uh, I, I've taken a big leap forward, not to reference the Chinese purges, but like um, I've made an initiative in my life to listen to better music, for example. I used to listen to like a lot of death metal. I used to listen to a lot of heavy metal. I got into rap a little bit because I used to do music production uh, in Atlanta, and I was deep into that scene. Actually, I worked with people who, uh, you know, were producing stuff with Kendrick Lamar and Drake and Dr. Dre and people like this. And so I was pretty deep into that world. I was a studio guitarist, and 
I've noticed that, and I was into dubstep and all that stuff. I was deep into that scene too. That's for another story. But I was very much into music, which was not good for the spirit. And it wasn't until recently that I found out how important music was, just as one facet of your central life. Uh, if you listen to like classical music, or if you listen to like Russian choir music, Orthodox choir music, like you'll notice a very perceptible change in your mood and your emotion and your in your spiritual state, uh, as opposed to you listening to like Billie Eilish or Little Nas X or something like this. You'll notice a difference, and so that's something to take note of. Uh, I've noticed that you need to keep attentive awareness as to what information is coming into you. And this is why I don't really watch movies anymore. I don't really watch Hollywood movies anymore because there is a lot of subliminal stuff in those movies. And the people who make those movies are literally in a cesspit of demonic hell, (laughs) like at least on earth. And so there's going to be, uh, you know, symbolic references. There's going to be, uh, you know, degeneracy in these movies, in these movies, in these TV shows, especially nowadays. And so when I do watch movies, I try to watch old stuff. I like watching movies from like the 1970s, uh, 1980s. Uh, at some points, I'll watch a war movie. Um, I like Saving Private Ryan. I like uh, Black Hawk Down. I really like war movies. That's just, I guess, the masculine side kicking in. But I try not to watch any of the new stuff uh, because it's just bad for your spirit. It's bad for your soul. Uh, there's some really dark stuff in that. And so the Orthodox Church has encouraged me to pay more attention to my sensual experience because God's creation is good. God's creation is good. Um, but that's not to say the devil isn't waltzing around in God's creation trying to take souls, right, and to invert things and to mislead you and deceive you. So... Creation isn't bad. To engage with it with your senses isn't bad, but do it with discernment. And I think that um, is the way to do it, and that is something which is uh, embraced by the Orthodox Church, which I like. So, with that said, number three, I like that it's all about Jesus. The Orthodox Church and its tradition is all about your connection with Christ. It's not about church hierarchy. It's not about any of this stuff. At the end of the day, as its highest value, um, it's about your relationship with Christ. And we were talking about Taoism before and how Taoism was called the way. Well, orthodoxy and Christianity, when it first started out, and remember, the Orthodox Church is the initial church. That's why they call it Orthodox. Uh, it was the first church. All of these other churches, the Roman Catholic Church, um, the other Protestant churches, which are popping up here in America, these are not the apostolic churches. These are churches which are just popping up out of the blue. And I'm not going to, again, say anything that denigrates these churches. Um, I am not an apologist. I'm not looking for arguments here. I'm just telling my experience, my thoughts. Uh, But the Orthodox faith was called the way originally. It was just called the way. And that came from John fourteen sixteen when Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And 
that reminds me of Taoism. And there is a great book out there that uh, connects Taoism with Orthodox Christianity. I've not read it, but I heard a podcast about it, and it was really, really interesting. There are a lot of overlapping connections, actually. And I find that fascinating. I think David Patrick Harry over on uh, the Eternal Logos, Church of the Eternal Logos, did a video about that. So check that out. I thought that was really interesting. And you'll see here the Orthodox way. Notice how it doesn't say the Orthodox religion. It was the Orthodox way. Um, you know, we don't say that popes are infallible. It's possible, and I asked my spiritual father about this, that all the churches could become compromised and could become so ecumenical, which is, you know, in our worldview, compromising to other churches which have branched away from the faith, that we go into a dark age where the church has to go underground, and the, tr the traditions have to be preserved outside of the uh, traditionally nationally recognized churches, which I thought was interesting. But it's all about that initial tradition, and it's about the deacons and the priests facilitating your connection with Christ. That's what it's all about. And I really like that. It's very decentralized, and we, the Crypto Bros, we like decentralization. It's not centralized like it is in the Catholic Church. You've got the Russian Orthodox Church, the Greek Orthodox Church, the Antiochian Orthodox Church, the Armenian Orthodox Church, Oriental Orthodox Churches, Coptic, right? Um, and all of these churches are largely independent of each other. And so it's, it's decentralized, and it's more able to resist the pressures that come to invert it and to compromise it. Because if one church gets compromised, which looks like the case with the Greek Orthodox Church to a certain degree, well, then you can just go to the Russian Orthodox Church. They'll preserve the faith. Um, and that, to me, is great. That, to me, is great. So, oh, my goodness, we are at one hour and ten minutes. I've got two more points, and then we'll call it that. Uh, there's just one orthodoxy. Right? And I thought that was great. And just to give you a note, the Orthodox Church has survived a lot of persecution. And one of the big inspirations for me to go to the Orthodox Church was seeing the success and the reincarnation, if you will, of the Orthodox Church after 100 years of communism. Uh, the Orthodox Church was heavily, heavily persecuted in Soviet Russia. You had many martyrs. For example, um, well, Sozoyev was a martyr on the behalf of the Muslims, I believe. He wasn't uh, a martyr on the behalf of the Soviets. But the Soviets did persecute the Christians. And the fact that you're starting to see a Christian revival in Russia today, after 100 years of communism, is very, very inspiring. Because we're going the same way, it looks like, of the communists uh, that took over in 1917 in the Soviets, uh, in Soviet Russia. And we're seeing that today here in the United States and Western Europe. And so I pray that Christianity can survive the onslaught of this attack. And I am optimistic of that, looking at uh, the Orthodox Church in Soviet Russia, looking at the Orthodox Church in Greece that survived the Ottoman persecutions. Um, and remember the Germans... I don't even know if you could say the name, but the 1930s, 40s Germans, you know what I'm talking about. They heavily persecuted 
the church as well. Now, they're not Orthodox, for the most part, over in Germany, uh, but nevertheless, Christianity survived there. There are some Orthodox there, I think, but... Um, and yes, it survived a lot of attack. I also like that it is communal. It is community-oriented. We talked about this earlier in the video, but it's not about just you. Um, it's about the community. It's about bringing everybody together. And we have that in our understanding of the Trinity because God understands himself as three different persons communing together, and the Orthodox Church calls us to do that as well. And you see more community-oriented philosophies over in the East as opposed to the West, because in the West, especially in America, we've got this radical individualist philosophy. Um, and because of that, you've had the impetus to establish 40,000 different Christian denominations, Right? Because everyone has their own understandings of things. You can take your perspective and run with it. Freedom of religion, you know. So anyone can kind of do what they want. Very liberal. But the Orthodox Church, in its Eastern tradition, is very community-oriented, and I like that. I like that. As I've gotten older, I've come to appreciate that more. And it's survived and stayed the same since the beginning, as we talked about. Uh, which gives it a sense of stability in a time of chaos. And so that's very attractive as well. The fact that it hasn't changed through time, when we are living in a time where everything seems to be changing, you can grip onto that and you can have confidence in it. And it provides a sense of stability in your life. And so that's great. Something else, and this is going to be the last point, and I think that this is the best point. Um, maybe I won't say the best point. We've made a lot of good points. But I like that orthodoxy is challenging and difficult. I like that it's challenging and difficult. In many other branches that I've looked into, the sentiment seems to be that if you get baptized, if you show up to church every now and then, if you show up for Easter and Christmas, if you do those things and you just believe you're going to heaven, Jesus died for you, it's going to be fine. Uh, in the Orthodox faith, it's not so easy. We see baptism not as the end where you're baptized, now you're safe, you're good to go, Jesus is going to look after you, we see it as the beginning. It's the beginning of a long, hard, struggling journey. And to some degree, this is why I was a little bit anticipatory and cautious to get baptized really early. Because I wanted to make sure that when I did this, I was committed, right? Because it is a big responsibility to be an Orthodox Christian because once you're an Orthodox Christian and you have your baptism to remission your sins uh, or remiss your sins, you are in the game and your soul is on the line. Our soul is always on the line, but when you commit to Orthodoxy, uh, you have to take it that much more seriously when you're baptized. You are in it to the end. It's a big commitment. And so that's why I've been a catechumen for about a year. Uh, and I wasn't so gung-ho to jump into this stuff. It's a very serious uh, initiation. And that's because of the difficulty. And I appreciate the difficulty. I respect that. We need something in our lives, especially in this day and age, that challenges us every single day, which makes it so that we understand the stakes are high for every action that we do, for every failure that we have, that 
I think is not only good for us as individuals, but it's good for the entire world to take on an attitude like that. Because it's true. We've talked about that a lot on the channel. Everything you do has ripple effects. And I think that having an idea of Judgment Day is very, very powerful. Very, very powerful. The idea that everything you do is going to impact not only your life here, but your soul for eternity. That is very convincing. That is very, very convincing. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, I wrote this down too. Father Barnaby said this, and I thought this was great. Uh, you don't want your faith to be a kind of hell insurance. You know, you want your faith to be uh, a deep devotional love for God. You know, you don't want it to be, okay, well, I attended church a few times this year. Hopefully that's good enough to keep me out of hell. <laughs> you know, you want it to, like the Orthodox believe, you can enter the kingdom of heaven here in this life. If you really follow the commandments, if you really attain theosis, uh, which is becoming God in this life by following the commandments, and I don't think, well, I have to look more into the theology of that, um, but that is part of the process of salvation. It's a process of theosis, which is to become like God. Uh, you can attain the kingdom of heaven in this life. You don't have to wait to the afterlife. Um, that is something that is more inspiring than not going to hell, than not going to hell. And I, I find that really uh, encouraging as well. So I like that it's a lifelong process. I like that given my ambitious nature, there's always something that I could become better at. There's always something that I could improve upon. And the work is never done. The work is never done. And so that encourages you to have meaning in your actions and in your existence throughout your life. And that to me is really, really encouraging. And I like that a lot. So those are my thoughts on it. If you want to have an interesting statistic, um, according to Father Barnaby, this was about eight years ago, but since 1987, 50,000 evangelical Protestants have become Orthodox in the U.S. And at the Russian Orthodox Church I go to now, most of the people who go to that Russian Orthodox Church are converts. At Father Barnaby's church, Raphael Irene and Nicholas, which I used to go to a little bit, they said about 87% of their congregation was converts. And I think specifically Protestant converts. The trend that I see is that a lot of people go from Protestantism and they go from Catholicism, especially now that the old Latin Mass has been pretty much uh, done away with or heavily restricted. Um, a lot of people from those branches of Christianity come to Orthodoxy and they don't go back. It's very rare from what I understand, that people go from orthodoxy to Protestantism or to Catholicism. It's typically one way. Uh, and so that also tells me that I'm in the right place. Uh, just seeing people in my own life that have been through the Orthodox Church uh, just for a little bit, how they've developed. Like Jonathan, I was t telling you about Jonathan, my buddy at the uh, other Orthodox Church, just seeing him uh, over the last couple weeks you know, just going to Orthodox churches. He got baptized as recently. That's all great. That's all really great. And it, you can feel the spirit of these people. It's, it's wonderful. So 
There's more I could say about this stuff. I could go on for a long time, but I hope that gives you a perspective. And I hope that um, I didn't misrepresent anyone's faith. I hope that I didn't represent misrepresent my own faith. Um, I just wanted to give you my experience, my thoughts on this as to why I chose Orthodox Christianity. So thank you for the question. I really appreciate it. And for everybody else who has questions for me, uh, check out our Patreon or you know, send me an email. Maybe we could work something out. But uh, yeah, if you support me, I will serve you to the best of my capacity. And I want to continue to do that. So thank you uh, for everyone who supports the channel. Thank you for everyone for tuning in. And I will see you guys next time. And Mateo, check out the donation links below, the addresses. I have PayPal now. Uh, because of this gentleman, he wanted to donate via PayPal. He didn't like Patreon. Uh, the crypto addresses that he wanted to donate to were compromised by the hack. And so uh, I've set up PayPal. I know it's a little bit global easy, but we have PayPal if you want to check us out there. And then the social media links below. So again, my name is Mateo. I uh, hope that you enjoyed. See you next time. God bless.